We've got another person joining the Five Timers Club, Jen. <laughs> Pink lady jackets on the way. <laughs> Adriana, Adriana Herrera is with us today. Again, we're so excited. Number five. It's really not number five. It's number more than five, but it's her fifth time with, with- us exclusively yes as a threesome if you will we love a threesome (laughs) (laughs) on brand sort of for today's (laughs) conversation welcome back to faded mate thank you i am very excited to be here very excited to talk about the topic of today we're talking about mistresses courtesans and fidelity, cheating, all the things that romance loves. We're choosing violence today. (laughs) The end of season three is basically like a brawl in the streets. Exactly. Blow it up. (laughs) Fighting gloves on. (laughs) Let me say this before we start. Uh, This will be more like a freewheeling episode where we're just like talking. We will probably mention books, but it's hard to recommend books because this is often a, like the things we just listed, don't they appear in romance because of their absence right and we're going to talk about the books that it does appear in why we think it's absent and why cheating is really as sarah and i say all the time the third rail of romance like why it just we don't want it we don't want to have anything to do with it um but what we are willing to accept from some characters but we would never accept cheating is i think one of the ways that we really got started talking about this yeah we, over the course of season three, have talked a lot about the Venn diagrams of like where things intersect in romance. And I think there's infidelity, which feels like the absolute third third rail. But then there's, you know, on the other hand, or the, the foil of that is um, courtesans, mistresses, like these kind of tropes that we see in historicals especially but that are kind of edging their way into contemporaries and how that world of, I guess we would call it sex work, but in historicals, it doesn't really feel like it is sex work, but it's never really presented in quite the same way is um, connected and disconnected in, in ways with infidelity. So, welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and critic, and... I'm Sarah McLean, a romance writer, and I read them, too. I said that all wrong. Look at me. It's all right. I know we don't have our normal things going on. And we're here with... Adriana Herrera. I write romance and have many opinions. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're here. And is a five-timer. Right. We gave Kate Claiborne a plant, but we've got another idea for you. Well, if it is a pink jacket, I want mine to say Rizzo on the top. <laughs> right? Who wouldn't? So I don't even know where. I mean, I where, I don't know where to start. So I guess we should start with. I mean, we start with historical versus contemporary. We could start with mistresses as a concept or idea. We can talk about cheating, the third rail. I think we should start there. Let's start. Let's jump right into the deep end of the pool because okay. I think we should start with infidelity because. Um, because it is so verboten. You know, I think I've been thinking since we did the dark romance episode, which I the more I think about it, the more like the more I loved that episode. Um, the what struck me and what continues to strike me as like the weirdest thing that happened during that episode is that literally everything is okay with these heroes except, except cheating. cheating. They can't cheat on you. Um, and I think that, you know, I think about on on 
you know, in on the internet, on the Facebook group, the the OSRBC Facebook group. Um, there's so many moments where you see a post that's like, you know, no cheating. I am asking for these requests, the this particular kind of book, but no cheating. There are tons and tons of Goodreads groups that are quote about safe romance, which means safe is the code on Goodreads for there's no cheating on page. Um, or in, in many cases, like, no other woman whatsoever. So it's not even mm. like, you know, at okay. some point they, you know, they're not together at the beginning of the book and the hero has another, you know, it's always a hero. <laughs> it feels like it's always a hero. It feels very gendered. Well, and I think there's reasons for that. The thing that I find interesting about that, y'all, is that's essentially, like... I don't know, going into the, like, saying you, no cheating, no cheating, no cheating. Well, good luck finding the books with cheating, right? I mean, I have been scouring for a week trying to figure out, like, where these books are. So the sort of, like, hard and fast, like, I just don't want this no matter what, also feels so, it's so protective of something that isn't honestly even really that much of a threat in romance, Right. Yeah, the, I think the parallel, right, for, for example, that dark romance, that piece of, like, the man's, like, obsession with the woman is so appealing. And I think, like, the inability to tolerate a situation where there's infidelity, like, I I think those things are parallel, right? Because I think is um, that that need, that affirmation that you are like the only thing that matters to this person, right? So I think those two things seem to me to be parallel. But to me, I think in a way, we are upholding some, like these values that the patriarchy sets up of where like there are some, that there are women that don't matter, that there are people that have yes, right. no value. And so for us, like, it's like the mistress is there only to affirm how much better the heroine is. And right. when there's a choice to make, um, and I was thinking about this yesterday, I actually talked a little bit about it with Jen, about the fact that to us, a man who is so obsessed with a woman who burns things down, kills people, decapitates, <laughs> and literally burns down a, a town for this woman to get at this woman is, is, is great. We love it. And yet a mistress who becomes unhinged when she is spurned is someone to revile and, and like who is mm-hmm. like someone who is deserving of our... Our scorn. Disgust and our scorn. And so that parallel to me is always interesting. And, like, it's something that I think about for personal reasons. I know what those are, so let's get back to that in a minute. Because I think the other thing that I was thinking about from, like, an opposite way is... And I I, want to admit, I, I like, called a a friend of mine, a colleague in my English department, who is, like, the smartest person I know... And because I was really interested in talking about sort of um, like marriage and fiction almost and like a lot of like a lot of things. And the thing that he pointed out, though, and and then it really became clear to me is I think we are under the impression that inspirational romance is the only place that like conservative Christian values live. And I think the other thing about no cheating is that. This is a place where it is deeply rooted in evangelicalism and, like, lots of Christian sects that 
set, S-E-C-T, right? That if you can't hold your man, right, if he cheats, that that is your fault, Mm-hmm. Right? And that there's a way in which, like, the no cheating rule. And look, I get it. I think it's deeply painful to, I think it feels too real, right? Like, one is it's just obviously, like, against the fantasy of romance. But I think it also, part of the reason for that is because it really, I think, upholds this idea that once you find, you know, in a cishet, rom- you know, relationship, once you find your man, if he strays, that's your fault. And I just think that's a really painful thing for many women to grapple with or to even like and that's then the opposite side of the mistress then they're reviled the other woman is reviled because she's the bad one who lured that man away and you're the bad one who let him go i think it's really anti-cheating is like you really have to face your own internalized misogyny like right in the face and i think that's why that's not the work of romance what's the fun or the joy or the great feeling in that it's yeah nothing you know, we've talked recently about how we think about these older, We when we did the Cat Sebastian episode, we talked about Cat's um, great quote about um, how conservative, like, Small is, C is it, conservative, you know, right. small C conservative. Like, is it is it possible that um, you know historical romance, particularly, is conservative? And I think that it does. Those old school romances do sort of perpetuate this evil other woman, like, the heroine has to be, like, golden and wonderful and birds have to alight on her shoulder. (laughs) And, you know, the hero should be able to span her waist with, like, his hands. And, like, everything has to be perfect. And I think so much about those old historicals. And there's one that I, I mean, I it lives rent-free in my head. This Jude Devereaux, The Velvet Promise, right, which is one of the Mon- one of the early Montgomery the Montgomery books. It's part of the Velvet trilogy. And um, I mean, content warnings for every like everything you can imagine would happen in an, in an old school romance, like happens in this book. And um, but at the at the end, there is this like evil other woman, Alice, who has been in love with the her- the hero forever. And who is the, like, is the other woman. Like, he has had a relationship with her. And she's terrible. Like, she's, like, a central, she's, like, brought through from central casting. Like, (laughs) she's just terrible. And at the end, she gets burned. They literally pour hot oil on her face. This is, like, how, I mean, not, not on purpose, but, like, for some reason, there's, like, a cauldron of hot oil on a rampart. Whatever. It's fine. For romance reasons. And, like, it tips over and Alice gets hot oiled and disfigured forever and of course like the disfigurement is also part of it like she was beautiful Her punishment she is right? no longer and i think this kind of we've talked before on other episodes about how this like evil other woman trope just doesn't it doesn't hold up in the in 2021 mostly but i do we see it still because like how dare there be even an inkling of something else. And and the thing is, like, I don't think cheating is okay. I don't think that, like, the fact that men culturally have a license to um, have as many relationships as they want and don't have any kind of um, moral compass when it comes to, like, being faithful to their partner is okay. But what I do think could be something that could be an interesting thing to explore in romance is 
that part of relationships that we just like choose not to engage in what's and I mean to me it's like those same things about historical romance where like we have humongous blind spots about highly immoral things that people in these books are like living living off from um constantly doing like you know, exploitation of women in every kind of way that you can imagine, benefiting from extremely cruel systems. And yet, like, this one thing is something that we don't like to touch because it's, I mean, it is, it's a raw thing, right, for women specifically. But I think that we are missing opportunities to build empathy for other women. And also to, like, again, historically, like, the historical accuracy police, I was, like, making a joke, like, she used (laughs) lavender. And then, like, no, because lavender wasn't invented until 1782. But then... culture was like a functioning part of like European wealth, Latin American wealth, colonial wealth, American wealth, men with money kept mistresses. That is how it was. They were status symbols. Like there were mistresses who were considered to be the very best quality and, and they were and passed I don't mean, on. Yeah. No, they, were they were passed on. They would move from rich benefactor to rich benefactor. Yes, absolutely. This was their job. These were women with jobs. Their job. And uh, there's um, this woman, um, Summer Brooke, I think she is. She's an author. She writes nonfiction in her, in her Patreon right now. She lives in Paris and she's doing, there's a book at the French National Library. That's the book of courtesans. And it was a, a, a book that the, pol- the city police in Paris kept like in the 1860s and in 1870s. And it basically was like a dossier of every single notorious, well-known courtesan in Paris at the time. And they were sex workers, right? So they knew about them. They had kind of like uh, kept like track of them, who was their benefactor at that time, kind of like where they lived and their life story, essentially. And they had like, you know, like a little file on each of them. And she's been like posting their, each of their, of the stories that she's found. And it was a job. It was, it was, it was a job. Sex work is work. Right. Right. Exactly. It's a job. I I will say while we're talking about these great books, I just want to name check. The Covent Garden Ladies, which is written by Hallie Rubenhold, who also wrote The Five. A lot of people probably know The Five, which is about Jack the Ripper's um, victims. But The Covent Garden Ladies is a piece of nonfiction based on the Harris's list of Covent Garden Ladies, which literally was a little black book that was passed to young men who came into London when they, you know, arrived. And it had a list of all the working girls um, that were available to, you know, men who were looking for sex workers. Um, And it had, it has descriptions, names, what they look like, um, what they'll do, what their specialty is. Like, this, it's basically like, you know, a tell it's a telephone book and their address and so um and the Hallie Rubin Rubenhold book is terrific and it became Harlots the television show 
this has played out in historical versus contemporary. Yes. Right? So in a lot of old old school historicals, like I, like the blueprint, I think, was sort of like you'd get people who their parent, the main characters of the book, their parents were unhappily married. And the father had a mistress. And the these main characters are like, my father did wrong by doing that. He hurt the family. He hurt me, right? I mean, it was really framed as being painful. And then, you know, for whatever reason, then you get these main characters sort of pledging, like, well, we're not going to, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to marry for love. I'm not, right? I mean, so that whole, it existed, but in a way that was, like, painful for characters. And I feel like it has then played out. Now I think that's a little less common. Like, even, okay, again, back to the Cat Sebastian book we read last week. Alistair hates that his father had a mistress, and he considers her to be terrible. But when she shows up, she's charming, and she just wants to do best for her kids. And then Alistair sort of by the end kind of figures out, like, oh, you know what? Maybe my father was just unhappily married, and this is where he found happiness. So I do feel like now we do get some books where it's not always perceived as toxic in historicals. Agreed, yeah. And then, and so Sarah, I know you wanted to talk about the courtesan, but we, but still those mistresses are not main characters, I guess I would say. Yes. No, well, that's the thing, right? There are two versions of old school mistresses. One is the mistress, well, there are three versions. One is the mistress who ends up getting hot oil, like, poured Mm -hmm. on her face because she's terrible and we need to punish her. And we should say, by the way, our favorite, Dreaming of You, has this, and it is by far the most problematic part of that text for me. Yes. A thousand percent. Right? I have a really hard time with what happens to With Joyce. Joyce. Me too. So set her aside. Then there's the second kind of mistress who, like, is there... And not terrible, but she's definitely not going to be the heroine. And what I'm thinking about here, I think, like, a great example of a text for this is um, Eloisa James's Your Wicked Ways, in which the hero and heroine are both, I don't know, he's an opera, he's, he's, he's like a composer of opera, and she is, like, also a musician. And they were married, it was a marriage of convenience, and she's been away for 10 years, and now the biological clock is ticking. She wants to have a baby, and she knows she has to have a legitimate child. So she turns up in his London townhouse, and he is seated at a meal with his mistress, and she says, I won't need, she basically proposes, like, I need this baby, so I'll, I just need the baby, and then I'll get out of your hair. I need no more than than five minutes of your time. And the mistress from down the end of the table goes, on a good day, 10. Right? I mean, like, so it's this, like, great moment. The mistress is there. She's very droll. She's not terrible. And, like, but she's certainly not the love interest. I went and reread a a real old Mary Balog from 1989 called The Obedient Bride for this. In which, and this is like an old, like, I think it was originally one of those, like, signet regency. So we're talking, like, the real, like, that real blueprint. And it starts off with um, the hero has inherited from a cousin who he's, like, long distant. And he's like, whatever, I'm 20 and I have my mistresses, but I'm a titled lord now. So I best, I, I'm going to just marry one of his daughters and, like, wrap that up so I can get back to my mistress. And the girl he marries, Annabelle, or Annabella, is, you know, eight, just 18, and she's never left her little tiny town. And I will tell you the part where it's, like, their wedding night. I was like, 
oh shit, I kind of remember this. Like, it's all from his point of view, and she just lays there and doesn't do anything. But she doesn't cry or complain, and he, you know, does his business. And then he kind of withdraws and hears her <gasps> kind of gasp, and he's like, don't worry, you did a good job. And I read this, and I was like, holy shit. And so then the journey of the book is, like, they get to London, and she figures out that he has a mistress, and I was really like, oh, wow, this... it." I wouldn't read that plot today, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in Devil in Spring, and Lisa Clavis' Devil in Spring, which, by the way, I love, <laughs> like, he has a mistress because of his, like, dark desires. I mean, he <laughs> likes, he likes, sure. he likes rough sex, he likes kinky sex or kinky light, mm-hmm. and he just, no, he cannot get that from a respectable woman, lady, right. right? So he has this woman who's, I think, like the wife of like a diplomat or something. I think like an American That's diplomat. Right. And they have this relationship of, you know, everybody knows it. Like his, his husband knows it and everybody knows that he has this mistress because she is willing to do the things that he knows he can't ask a respectable woman for. Well, that's basically Scarlet Peckham's The Duke I Tempted, right? Where it's not a mistress per se, but like she had, he's, he goes to this whipping house, um, that's run by, you know, this woman. Um, and then the heroine has to like make the turn to be. And like, she him. also has, she has like a perfect foil of a kink. So it works out great. They're obviously right for each other, but she has to, she has to be the kind of woman who he, needs right Right. because he can't have both he can't be in love with his wife and like have a happy marriage and then also have like somewhere that he gets like his his kink and i mean that's again where we fall into the puritanical you can't have both you can't like want like and and that framework is not created by women that's the framework that exists because of the patriarchy like i and and this I have in my book, but I, I told you guys, like, in Spanish, the word for wife is esposa, which mean, literally means handcuffs. Like, it means shackles. And the word for mistress is querida, which means beloved. And so that right there is the literal, yeah, right, there like, you go. thing that the patriarchy has done where you, like, you have a wife that just lays there. And you have no, you know, you're not, that's not what you're looking for with your wife. You're looking for wealth, increasing your position in the world. Right. Whatever. Because marriage is a, is business. Is business. Until about a hundred years ago, marriage was business. Right. So, um, and then I do just want to say though, the third piece of the historical, I think, like pie around all of this is the courtesan romance, which is a actual thing trope, right? We've never done an interstitial on courtesans. Um, But there are any number of courtesan romances out there. And I think it's the only place where you actually see, like, the mistress treated with respect, Mm -hmm. but only because she doesn't stay the mistress. Right. She becomes the duchess, the countess, the marchioness, the... Yeah. And... So I have, you know, I have questions about that. And I want to talk about one of those, but, like, let's keep going. Because I actually think that you don't see, this is the struggle, right? Like, when do you ever see the mistress, given any respect, as a 
human. But see, and that's my whole point, once they become the wife. And that's why I think right. ultimately these books are really upholding the patriarchy. Right? Yes. In a lot of ways. Because it's basically like re reconfirming this kind of deeply rooted, like, Christian, American, evangelical, for sure, idea, because I feel like a lot of it is cultural, that you become respectable by becoming someone's wife. That is how, right? And I'm not saying I believe that, but I think that, like, there's a lot of messaging in our culture towards girls and women that socialize us to really feel that that's the way we gain respectability, and people who... Then let their husband stray. It must be their fault at some point. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think it's like the piece of like who are we leaving out out of these narratives when we refuse to even consider that a mistress can stay a mistress and have a happy ending, right? And and also the like the the reality of who had to make those choices, right? Like like I. For me, it's, again, like, we as women don't, like, accept the humanizing other women in certain narratives as long as one person get, like, we we have to clean that up, right? Like, I, I mean, to me, it's that piece, like, we have to clean it up to make, to, like, so it kind of, like, is able to fit the requirements of, like, puritanical values that we're still trying to subscribe to and to and and you and then I mean the to me like like the bastard child the illit- the illegitimate child which is honestly like the the bread and butter of historical romance yes. sure and 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 to me like really like one thing in Hattie's book Oh, Beast. Oh, my Hattie. Yeah. yeah. Or Hattie, <laughs> Hattie's book. Xavier's mother, you know, like, like the ability to see someone who had a mother who was a mistress, like, and like, I'm getting a little emotional, like be able to like have a full person is something that we rarely get to see in romance. Like that mistress be a human, a mom. Do you want to talk about why this is so personal to you? <laughs> yes. It's, um, well, it's because I am an actual certified bastard. <laughs> my mom was my dad's mistress for 15 years. And, I mean, I honestly think that one of the the parts of, like, wanting to have this conversation is that I never get to see a mistress be anything other than, like, a reason for someone else to get the happy ending. And and in many ways, my mother didn't get her happy ending. Like, my father then, you know, after, after a time, had another mistress, and then him, his, my mom and his relationship ended. But at the same time, like, there was 15 years in which they were together. Like, I grew up, you know, with my father and my mother in my life. My father didn't live with us, but he came and saw my mother every day. And my mother loved my father, truly. And and I think also, like, she was someone who didn't come from a background where she could, like, financially, she it was helpful for her and for her family. Like, with my father's resources, my mom helped her whole family, 
And so that's something that, did she love him? Or did she grow to love him because he gave her so much in terms of like her career and finances and like security? Perhaps. A provider, right? A provider. He was much older than my mother. And and so, and he was married to a woman from a family that was like from European descent and had a certain type of life. And my mother didn't. My mother was from like the rural areas and she was from a poor family. So in many ways, very stereotypical. But at the same time, my mother had ambitions. And with my father's support, she was able to like get to that, right? And I think for me... I don't know. Like, to me, it seems that that's a story also worthy of being told, right? And so I think that's part of the the things that I think as women that we who write romance and a lot of these stories are with, with women, with mistresses, is that we are hindering ourselves or like we are like missing out on understanding the spectrum of women's experiences because we can't tolerate um, reading about a woman that has to make those kinds of choices. Because again, it's the same thing, same as immigrants. Like nobody is like, as a little girl, it's like, well, what I want to do is be someone's mistress when I grow up. Right. But you have to be, or that's the choice that life gives you and you make the best of it. And then you make your own happy ending. And I think we, I think there's a lot to gain if we could explore those types of stories more. I think it's really interesting too, to consider the way this plays out in like contemporary then, because like what you're describing, right. Our, our inability to have like real sympathy for women who are like caught, caught in like this trap. Right. Because one of the things I said to Sarah when we talked about it earlier the week was, like, you don't see, like, modern-day mistresses or even, like, like kind of the affair in contemporary romance. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is it's also really tied into, you know, we have a lot of billionaires in romance. They almost always fall in love with someone who has no money herself, right? Again, if it's male-female romance. And that woman cannot ever want that man's money. Very, very, very few books. Even have a woman who's like, yeah, like, it'd be great for you to, like, pay my electric bill so the lights could be on for me and my kids, right? It's always, like, he has all this money, but I would, I don't want it. I can enjoy the the things, I can talk about the pretty clothes, but there's a way in which, like, that woman has to be able to, like, walk away from all the money at the end, like, to show her I don't know, purity, right? Like this, again, I think it ties, this is the part that really ties into capitalism. And so I think you can have a sex worker on page. We've seen some models for that, but that is almost always like a temporary fix. Almost always a man. And it's almost always a man. Yeah. Right? And I think that this is, as you've said, really about our inability. I mean, and part of me gets it. Like the fantasy of romance isn't, is you're the one forever. Yes. I'm and, never going to not love you. Yes, and that love is pure and is not actually a business. But also that, you know, if I want to think about how hard it is to financially struggle, or, right, that's real. But I romance. have, so, yes. But I also have, I mean, one, I would say that's part of why 
you all three of us sort of were charmed by Run Posey Run, right? Which is yes. not yes. a book about mistresses, but is a book about a heroine who is like, I need cash money. And yes, I'm going to yes. take this man's cash money. Yeah. Yes. Right. And there, it starts with an allegation of cheating. Remember? Like, yes, yes, he does, true. he does, he thinks he that she cheated. He, he gets, gets set up, essentially. An and he video. really freaks out and believes it. And at that moment, she's like, I've got to get smart. I've got to take what I can and the money I can to get away from here and be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I liked that. I liked how deeply pragmatic Posey was about that. He has money and I need it. Yeah. And I mean, I think. One of the things that I really liked about Posey specifically is that she really saw the world she was like in for what it was, and yeah, she didn't sell. Pra- she real, didn't yeah. sell herself a fantasy where she was like a princess and he was like her her prince. She was like, "This is you know, I am what I am. I am this man's essentially like his girlfriend who he could replace at any moment. So I have to kind of like." do what I can to get myself some security here because I don't know where I'm going to stand later on or if he gets tired of me or whatever. And I think that, like, the, like that, I think women are very pragmatic and women are very, like, we are born in a world that's really not meant for us to thrive, right? And so we have to become very good at survival yes. really early on. And some of us better, you know, some of us are in better positions than other. But at some point in our lives, we're going to be thrust into a situation that really we were not meant to be in. We were not meant to be in that room. We were not meant to be in that classroom. We were not meant to be in that boardroom. And we have to, like, recalibrate and become whatever we need to be to be able to navigate that situation. And it just is funny to me that in terms of relationships where women are having to make choices around, like, do I stay with him because it's convenient to me right now? Or, like, it has to be, like, this, like, fantastical love. Like, I think is is something, I don't know. It just, I feel like we are really kind of not exploring, like, really all the sides to the female or women's experiences. Yes, I agree. And I would also say that the other side of this, this infidelity coin is, um, and I, I wrote a story. I wrote a, I wrote a book where the hero cheats on the heroine. Right. Um, I was like, we got to talk about it. Right. He cheated on the heroine in the first book in the series. And then their book, the hero and the heroine have like a second chance romance in the third book in the series. And he doesn't, it's, he doesn't have a mistress. He has a, he has sex with another person. It's on page. I will say I receive emails probably once or twice a month asking me if, in fact, it was penetrative sex, as though that is oh, a yeah, right. That's the deal breaker. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, because, like, or were they just embracing, like, in a really, like, tight way without pants on? And I, I don't like, no, he was I'm fucking like, No, her, he's right? terrible. <laughs> he definitely did this. So, um... <laughs> But what's really interesting about this is that my instinct often when I hear from readers who won't read that book, and that's totally fine, right? Read what you want. I don't care. Um, Is I won't read a hero who's cheated on the heroine. And I think there is a sense, there is a very real sense among women in 2021, a certain level of women in 2021 that's like, well, if he cheats, that's it. Like, He's, you know, he's dead to us. Like, you leave him, you never, you never consider, like, 
anything else. It's just a matter of, like, he was unfaithful and now he's gone. And I also get a lot of emails from people who have been through infidelity in their relationships and who have come out on the other side and, like, have a really, like, positive life with their Mm -hmm. partner. And I think we do a disservice to those women, too, who have lived through this kind of trauma in a relationship. And maybe they've stayed because they have children or maybe they've stayed because they love him and they believe that it was a mistake. And there are reasons, you know, who are we to decide what somebody else's marriage or relationship should be? You can only make those decisions for yourself. And so I think when we say, like, no cheating. infidelity and romance is, is the third rail, Don't we, we can't read it and we can't write it and we can't discuss it, we're, dis, we're diminishing a large percentage of women and men. Yeah. Right? I think that's a really important point. I, and I think that that's the thing that I do feel like, like, yeah, what does it mean to say that something is completely off limits when it is a thing that many women, either personally or, like, through their friends, experience? And often yeah. in silence, right? Yes. Like, I yeah. can't talk about this with anyone because I feel shame about wanting to stay. Because I stayed, and that means that somehow I deserved it. Or somehow, like, I I I don't value myself or... And listen... I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm weak. And, I mean, to me, this is the thing. Right. Like some people I'm like, okay, he's kind of trash, but whatever. Like you want to stay, you want to stay. But then there's like people, people go through things. Marriage is long and marriage is hard. And knowing my own life experience, like there, there are, there are things about me and how I grew up and my own life experience that like could very well have turned out into, you know, something where I went through experiences like this in my own relationships. And then does that make me not worthy of love? Does it just make me someone that needed help that they didn't get yet? Like what's, and like, what are these are the pieces to me where like we, I mean, some, and again, like these things are hard. Like this is not minimizing at all. How painful, how horrible it is to be betrayed and how, how much that like breaks you. Right. But at the same time, like, the nuance to it like when you bring in like i mean historical like culturally like i feel like it's just like we could like explore that in like a million different ways Mm -hmm. but even in even now like if you're in the dominican republic or you're in certain cultures like there's an expectation that a man is going to have um, a mistress is it okay absolutely not but at the same time why can't we look that straight on Right. Yeah. Well, there's also, let's not forget the fact that it's the mistress who gets blamed always, right? Because how else are we to articulate that a hero is a rake in a historical, for example, without giving him? And so now there's that balance, right? You used to be able to say, well, like, this guy's a rake because he sleeps with whoever moves, right? But now there's like, well, hang on a second because there were diseases. So so now there's like, has to be serial monogamy. And the only way that you can have serial monogamy and make someone a rake is giving him a spate, like a, of mistresses. Right, a slew of mistresses. But we love a rake. I mean, I love a rake. All this is I to love say, a rake. like, I love a rake. Right. So. 
absolutely love a rake. <laughs> and and honestly, I love like I love a man who's like will burn down a town for a woman. Like I I oh, just yeah. I think I think I think it's just looking inward and figuring out like as a genre the places where we can't go because of the framework that we're operating under from the patriarchy and are we willing to tear down some of those structures? Right. Or not, and and perhaps explore a whole new uncharted territory that yes. um, right. we hadn't explored before, and like op- like open it up so that more experiences of women, and and honestly, I think building empathy because I really do think that's something that romance does better than any other genre, and I think it's time <laughs> for us to build some empathy toward women who have been mistresses. And in real ways. I agree. I think there's a couple other things that I am really interested in talking about. And so because of the plotting arc of your typical male MF romance, which is like we meet, we fall in love, we have obstacles we have to overcome, and then the ending is us deciding that we're going to be together. And that then we, like, imagine the HEA. Like, there's not even a whole lot of room in there for infidelity to, like, even exist. So one of the things I would like to point out is that if you are going to get a book where there's cheating, it almost always has to appear in sort of a second chance where someone's remembering, like, you cheated in the past, right? So there's um, a Lorelai James, is that her name? Lorelai Mm -hmm. James book called I Want You Back, um, that I actually sort of struggled to read, but it really is dual timeline. And in the first timeline, it's like she's with him and he's a pro hockey athlete and he's cheating. And then you have the timeline now of them like trying to get back together how, like over a decade later. So, I mean, I think one of the things that almost like makes cheating hard to even put on page is like that arc. Mm-hmm. Because, like, right, where is it even going to go? I mean, if you're dating a guy, if you're just dating and he cheated, she cheats on you, you're just done with him. There's no, right. like, threat, right? So I think it's really interesting, too, to even think about, like, well, how are we going to, how would we even, like, make a space for that? Because you have to really, but, like, if it's marriage and trouble. Mm-hmm. Or a gravel book where you're starting right. from, like, he's done this and he right. has to. The problem, I think, is if the thing he's groveling about from the beginning is that he cheated, a lot of readers are just going to close yeah. the book and go to the next one. Right? Yeah. That's I mean, how... it takes, it's deft writing, too. I mean, yeah, like, of course. you think about, I mean, oh my God, I think all the time about, um, you know, the person who I think threads the needle on infidelity and romance possibly better than anyone in the whole world is Lorraine Heath. And I think that's because she always comes up with like, a, she puts the characters in an impossible position, right? Like they we, have to, they have to, we fuck. did this like waking up with the Duke um, episode. And I remember when we did it, a bunch of people were like, I've never read this book because it has cheating, right? Because right. the heroine, is married on page and like they have she and the hero have have this like intense love affair because her husband has basically said you have to do this and it is wild how it works but the deafness but it works because Lorraine is so good at the job but I would also say that this is also one of the only ways in which readers will quote-unquote buy cheating is because there is some like a 
other plotting, dude? No, there is a plotting reason that has to put them in bed together versus I'm unhappy. Right. I am yeah. just attracted to him. It was just a fucking wall banger at a party. Like, who knows? None of yeah, those yeah, reasons yeah. are acceptable. The death rating has to be enough to essentially lure readers trick. into the trick. They have trick to us. be tricked. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say it. They have to be tricked. Yes. Because yeah. it's such a dangerous game for writers. Well, I mean, like, yes. People don't read these books. They turn their they turn away from them. Well, so if look, you want to challenge yourself and write yourself a book like this. It makes yeah. it really challenging. Or I mean, at, yeah. You go ahead, Adriana. I was going to talk about Sherry Thomas, but I can do it after. Well, I was going to talk oh, about Average and the Harris, too. too. But I, I was going to... Actually, I'm going to talk about Adrian English series, which I recommend to you. It's a queer romance series. And, you know, it's... Some of it hasn't aged that great, but I really like that series. It's a mystery series. It's five books, and it's um, Adrian English, and he, his love interest is Jake Riordan, who's like an LAPD police detective. And Jake is like very closeted, like deeply in the closet and deeply struggling with his homosexuality, as it was called in the book. You know, this is this book came. I, the first book came in the early two thousand, so there's some issues there. But the arc of it, right? Like the the book is like they begin the relationship, and Jake cannot even kiss him. Like he can't even say the words "I'm gay." And then by the time, of course, like I mean, I'm gonna spoiler it. Sorry. So like in the third book, like there. They're, he's dating a woman. He's been dating a woman, but Adrian and him get into a relationship. In the third book, Jake breaks off the relationship with Adrian because he's going to get married because his girlfriend's pregnant. So are they having, I'm sorry, for clarity purposes, is he having, an, does he have an open relationship with this woman or is he? No. So he is he is lying to her. A oh, secondary okay. relationship with Jake. He is lying. Or Jake Adrian. is lying to Jake is lying to his girlfriend and basically sleeping with Adrian. And he's also like in like a BDSM club. So he's also like into kink, but that's like separate from his relationship with Adrian. And in the third book, they break it off. And then in the fourth book, it's two years later. They Adrian's been dating someone, Jake is married, and they are brought back together because someone gets murdered because it's a mystery. And that in that book, then Adrian cheats on his boyfriend with Jake. Jake still oh, wow. married to his wife, and they get together. They sleep together, and then by the end of that book, Jake essentially comes out to the police, comes out to his wife, to his family, gets a divorce, and then in the fifth book, it's kind of like them coming back together and working out all the baggage. <laughs> There's a lot. Adrian, a lot here to unpack. Yeah, because Adrian is very gun shy by this point for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons, right? And honestly, like. Jake is a very polarizing character because there are people who hate him, hate him because of the way he treats Adrian. And yet to me, like, I mean, I love the series and I have always said I would die for Jake and Adrian. (laughs) I, the arc of that to me is very realistic, right? Because this is, again, this is like this book, the first one, I think she wrote like 20 years ago. So it's like, a long ass time ago where like it really you know if you were a cop you perhaps wouldn't could not safely come out 20 years right. ago and right. and 
and, 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 you know, he grew up Catholic, so there was the internalized homophobia. He wanted to have a normal life. And you can't, if you might finally meet the person that you're in love with, like you're, that you, you would give up everything for, it might take you five books in two years to, to like get the, right, to figure to, that out, right. To figure that out, to, to undo, to like free yourself, to really get to the point where you say it's either him or my life. Like I have to blow up my life to be with this man, which she ultimately does, which is why again, I would die for him, but <laughs> it was hard. And he was cheating and lying to everyone in his life. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, I think, the part that is then, you know, I mean, it's interesting to me because, of course, I, you wouldn't catch me dead reading a five-book romance series. The fact that these are mysteries, right? (laughs) I mean, so I think that the question is, is, like, maybe what you're saying is, and, like, I get this, is to have that full arc that, like, really respects, like, the journey that this character is on, it needed to be either out of romance or, like, romance-adjacent, Right? Yeah, perhaps. And you know what? I think that's you can. But also, can, wait a yeah. second, because I think this is well. Thre- this is a well-threaded needle too, because part of the issue with him lying to everybody is that his identity, the truth of his identity, yes. could get him into trouble. Right? Like it could yes. burn down everything else in yes. his life because of time. Right? A time yeah. period. Um, yeah, and honestly, the mysteries, yeah. and again, it's like that really good gay mystery or like romance mystery, like romantic suspense where you have right. the romance, like those two characters are like why you're there. And like, you know, whoever gets murdered is like just like yeah. fun. Sure, and it's just like in the episode, right? Yes, but but at the, like I feel like perhaps it is something like where it would be more like of the indie approach where you would have to have like a three book like, like or well, a duology. I hadn't intended to talk about this book, so I can't remember the names of the characters, but Honey Trap, which we named as one of the best books of last year, um, has a similar plot, right? It it goes, Honey Trap tracks over 25 years or something, um, and the Russian hero, it's about two spies, an American spy and a Russian spy, so talk about conflict. They can't be together for lots and lots of reasons. (laughs) Um, But ultimately, the American spy gets married, has children, the Russian spy, like, comes and stays in their house, and then finally, 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 like, 25 years later, they're able to be together. So um, there is, I hadn't really thought through the fact that there was infidelity in that book, but of course there is. Well, but see, this is what I want to talk about. And this was like another sort of like area of like a question I have, which is right. Like this expectation of like total fidelity is also very heteronormative. Yes. Right. And so, you know, when we get, and you know, like, again, I, I just have a lot of questions and I think, when I was talking to Brandon, my colleague, it was, like, this this question he had, which was, like, really the one that I keep coming back to is, like, what does it mean to have an ethical relationship? And the truth is, there are lots and lots of circumstances, and many of these are not 
you know, like in and marginalized people are going to define that in different ways. People from different cultures are going to define that in different ways. People of different genders and sexualities. But like the dominant narrative of like cishet romance is like cheating is bad. And then there's like no space for, and then even like polyamorous relationships become throuples, right? Like they're closed. Mm-hmm. You don't really, you, there are million, lots of, I don't know how many, I was going to make up a number. There are lots of people in the world who live happily in open relationships relationships where that's negotiated. Right. But that's not cheating. But we don't ever really I can think of one romance with like a truly open relationship that I've ever read. And it's Fire on the Ice by Tamson Parker. And I'm kind of like, again, so that the no cheating thing also seems to be closing off our empathy to people who really are like, I love this person I'm with and I'm st- I still need something else that I cannot get in this relationship. And that actually is totally okay too. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's definitely something that is really false. Cause again, I think it's part of like that limit, like when you operate in absolutes, right? Like you are limiting yourself in what you can envision for yourself, for your relationship, for how your life can be. And, and heteronormative and, in queer relationships, there there is language. There's a framework for exploring these things. People can have conversations. Some people want to be in an open relationship. Some people don't want to be. But there isn't an expectation that what is that what it is is this kind of thing where like there's only monogamy and that's it. You know, close case closed. Boom. Right. And there's no skill. No proficiency in having that kind of conversation, envisioning that type of relationship. And so I think that's also part of it. If we're operating this heteronormative world where it's boy, girl, me, get married, and it's like them together for the rest of their lives, then yeah, there's a lot of limitations there. But if you are able to think beyond that, then your relationship can be what you want it to be. And then you're not so like the the puritanical moralistic absolutes that are just like swimming in there with us. And look, I think there's a lot of ways in which we have like moved away from some of that, right? Like we are taking baby steps away. Like now, I True. you know, but when I was a kid reading romance, it was like they had to agree to get married at the end. That's what made it an HGA, right? I don't. I would never even occur to me to expect that in every book now. We, it used to be that it meant having children. I don't think that that's true anymore, right? So we're getting away from it. But I do still think that despite saying like, okay, it's okay if you don't have kids and it's okay if you don't get married, the expectation still really is though that like monogamy rules the day in a romance or, right? Well, or a an agreement. Yes. It has to be a mutual agreement about yeah. the relationship. Yeah. Right. Which to me is I mean, fine. Which to me is that. fine. Right. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that's the thing is I just feel like, okay, so what would like the next wave of that be is like really showing that the HEA is going to look different for different people. Yes. And yes. that might, and we get, agree that it's not necessarily a marriage, and we agree that it's not necessarily children. But now yes. I think the question is, could we also agree that maybe 
That might mean open relationships for some people, and that that is not cheating. Now, I get that it's far afield, because cheating is betrayal. Cheating is what happens when someone does it when you don't agree. But I think that these are all, for whatever reason, tied up together in my brain, and I'm having a hard time like separating those strands and looking at them separately. Yeah. And I mean, I think even if, can the starting point be I've cheated and then we both have to confront what that means for our relationship. And maybe it it means that we have to really like tear down what we thought a relationship was and it's, it's something different. Or can the mistress have the happy ending for once or, or the person that you cheated on with, can that person be the second book (laughs) in the series? And, and, and you know what I mean? Cause that to me is where we could go and we choose not to go. Cause there's no reason why the mistress can't be the second person in the, in the, in the series. No. Right. But right. we we just close the door on that on that lady, yeah. <laughs> and she just no. she ceases to exist. And I so, think you're, well, I think you're more likely to see that weirdly in historical. Than I agree. We yes. Ever are in yes. contemporary. I mean, Ravishing the Heiress is a great example of that. We yes. talked about uh, the series. We talked about the book itself. We did a deep dive, but the mistress, although according to Sherry on Twitter. They never actually consummated. Um, but it sure feels like she, emotionally, she's definitely. She was. Who cares? He was Again, in love like, with her. Was it really kind of true to sex? Like, <laughs> he kept um, a damn mouse in his pocket I know. for years. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying a mouse around my house. Sure. I'd rather you have sex with someone than carry a fucking mouse I don't around. Get that. I do not yeah. want a mouse in my house. <laughs> Go have sex with her and get rid of the mouse. But I mean, that book is so brilliant because he is having a string of physical affairs with people and yes. it doesn't mean anything, but his emotional attachment to that woman does. Yes. Right? And so, then, and so yeah. But she gets a story. Yeah. Sherry yes. gives her a romance later. Yes, right. she does. Which is, I just reread that series after you all did the deep dive on Absolute Heiress. And and again, to me, that is where you really like we're really going to like the next level of where of the kind of women that we can write about and root for in romance that we don't limit ourselves to bring. Because, again, it's like this like maiden, this like, you know, like we can only root for you if you fulfill these things that these rules that we didn't set. Women didn't set these rules men did and we are continuing to be you know like walking the line that was set for us it's like fuck the line like we can make like have women who have been the mistress also get to be the heroine in the next book and find a man who is not going to say she doesn't have value because she had to be someone's mistress for five years or one night one thing that i think so Here's something interesting, which is I, everyone knows this, like when I'm, you know, we're looking for books, I'm like, okay, I've read everything it feels like. So, you know, I'm going to look for a Goodreads list where I'm like, okay, where are the cheating heroes in romance? And I look at these lists and I'm kind of like, boy, these are, some of them aren't really cheating in the way that I mean, right? Or this isn't, you know, I'm kind of like, wait, what? But I found this list and it's from 2015 and it's on, um, 
it's still on, you know, Mary's book blog. <laughs> Back when book blogging was big, and it was basically Hey, Mary. Like, shout out to Mary. Yeah, shout out, Mary. <laughs> You're just going to be like, I don't know why everyone's visiting this page all the time. <laughs> and I'll, I'll put it in show notes. And the, the question was, like, basically, like, you know, give me books with cheating in them. Kind of the similar thing. And almost all of them are self-published. And there was one that was really interesting that I will admit I did not, I read the beginning of and I read the end of because I just was really curious about it. It was called um, My Time in the Affair by Stylo Phantom, which is like, right? And it starts off with a woman who is unhappy. And I'm I'm not saying um, it's terrific or great or I recommend it. It was interesting to read. She's unhappy. She kind of knows that she is unhappy. She, like, gets in shape because she's convinced she's going to, like, she's, like, kind of planning almost she to preps. have an affair. She preps. She preps. And then she goes, she's going to Italy on some business trip where her husband is not with her, and she has an affair. And it's really interesting, like, the way it kind of plays out. It happens pretty early in the book. But at the end, I skip forward. I read basically until they sleep together, and then I'm like, what's going to happen? She ends up with this person she has an affair with. Like, she leaves her unhappy marriage. And it's fascinating to me that, like, this, I had to dig and dig and dig and dig to find this book. And to me, you see, to me, that's trying, like, to me, that's a triumph because it's a woman being like, I hate the situation that I'm, I'm in. I'm and I'm going to, like, make a plan and <laughs> execute it. And and to me, it's like, is she a horrible person? I, I don't know. I mean, she could have made different choices. But again, like, you can't just, like, wash your hands off of a 15-year marriage. No. Like, you can't right. just, like, you, and then it's just like, so what, am I supposed to be miserable for the rest of my life? Or can I go to Italy and have sex with a guy right. and see how that works for me? I'm like, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but good maybe for you, for trying. Yes. Um, and I, so it's funny that you say that because one of my favorite contemporaries, and I mean, I haven't read it in a, in a long time, but it's on my, like, recommended list on my website because I love it so much, is Mia Asher's Love Me in the Dark. Um, which is a similar story, except the hero, the heroine is cheated on by her husband, mm. and they decide they're gonna like take. They're like she's basically like I have to leave, like I have to go away from here and think, and so she takes herself to Paris and she meets a Parisian, so you know very close to where we are, and he's like hot and. Weirdly, there's a man smoking a cigarette on the cover of this book, which I think is a really also a really fascinating <laughs> choice in, in like modern romance. But I'm into it. Um, and they like she and this Parisian have this like intensely hot affair, and then she really does think like, okay, I'm gonna like this is just it's a, it's like rebound. Mm-hmm. And then of course there's like a kind of very dramatic like the husband comes to Paris and like you know, whatever, whatever. But she and the Parisian end up together. Like, mm. and it's great. It's really fun to watch a person, like, rebound and find happiness. And I'm for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think it plays with a lot of reader expectations of, like, if you had told me that at the beginning, I would literally have been like, she's still going to end up with her husband. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I think that, the, but that's the power of, like, marriage, right? That I really believe that that's going to be the way it works out. And I think that authors who sort of play around with this, like, our expectations, like, you know, when I find myself, like, why am I rooting for this when I know this person's unhappy? But 
I think you you hit on it when you said it was mostly indies on that list. Like we yeah. talked about this all season long, but like yeah, you know, these kinds of questions are being answered in indie romance in a way they are not being answered in yes. traditional. Well, here's what I will say though. This list is, like I said, six years old now. And so I don't know if this or maybe was, small press. Yeah, well, or I don't know if this is is this still happening and I just don't know where to find it. Right? Is this something that, you know, there are people out there writing these romances, but romance is now so vast that it's, like, really hard to even, like, you know, cover all of the territory and figure out where they are? Or is this just something that, okay, there's, like, a spate of indie romances in 2015 where people wrote about this, but they didn't sell and they didn't do much, and so people moved on. Like, it wasn't fertile in that way. Yeah. And I just don't know the answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where— I think if indie can take those chances, and I think a lot of people in traditional romance don't, may not feel like they can take those chances or that they'll be able to sell a book if, if a premise is something that's not like what's traditional. So, but then again, I think it's one of those things where like you can go, like you can, like what Cass Sebastian then, where you are like, Put, like putting a mistress on the page that is not what you expect to see someone mm-hmm. that is a full fledged human being or make the next book about the mistress and that's a good place to start because the reality is that like we can't do like a 180 and be from like right. never cheating to now like every other book in is going to be like someone cheating because again like you are working with things like betrayal with like unfaithfulness there's also like health risks like if you have somebody that's just out there doing whatever right like they're putting the 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 protagonist's life at risk like all those things need to explored like with a deaf hand but I think I think romance has the space to do that, and I think we've been like we've been like wary of it for right. patriarchy reasons. Well, so Sarah, before we wrap up, I would love for you to talk about Day of the Duchess because I feel like <laughs> oh, I mean, right? It is <laughs> yeah, it, it is a book where you know there's the cheater gets redeemed, <laughs> you know, essentially, yeah. and a lot of people I know were like. I couldn't believe she pulled it off. So. Yeah. Well, I wrote a book called Day of the Duchess. <laughs> and the hero cheats on the heroine in the first book in the series. And it actually, the I sort of said it, I teed it up almost. It was, I made it harder for myself, honestly. Because his moment of infidelity happens in public. And it is the inciting incident for the first book in the series. So um, the heroine of the first book in the series witnesses it along with her sister, who is heavily pregnant, his wife, who is heavily, heavily pregnant. And she is horrified and, like, decks him into a fish pond and then is, of course, like, you know, all of society pushes her out. So it was such a momentous, it was a momentous event in the course of the series of the book. So, like, there was no waving it away. It wasn't right, like, right. Like, readers were definitely going to know that. Um, and interestingly, when I wrote it, I knew the second I wrote that scene that I it, I was going to end up writing a second chance. And he, yeah. I was going to have to redeem him. So that was scary for the whole series because I'm a romance reader and I've heard, like, romance, you can't write cheating into romance ever. 
Like right. no, no, that's no that's go. irredeemable. Yeah. Right. Um. So I mean, I'll be honest. It was about making there be a reason for it. Yeah. Like, and then, uh, and the reason was the the a tr- massive trauma to their marriage. Um. Right. I had, um. You know, I had had friends who had you know struggled with. Loss, there's loss of a child in that book. I had I had friends whose marriage had struggled, and many many marriages struggle after the loss of a child, um, and um, so you know there was a lot of emotional trauma that had to be unpacked. But that book required a lot of work for the hero because he had to come back to the story, having done his own emotional work and like having yes. decided that he was going to be a better man. Right. To convince this heroine who, like, had basically said, fine, fuck all of this. Peace I'm out. going to America to, like, live my best life. Mm-hmm. Um, to convince her that he was worth taking a chance on. Yeah. Um, you know, also, the the piecing together of that book is very much about, um, you know, she, what she, he is the person who holds the key to what she wants. Like, yeah. she has a job and wants to own her own business and she cannot because she is married, right? There's a, this is the other reason why in historicals it all works out a little bit more cleanly because um, by law he owns her business and she's like, I need that. So I need a divorce. Mm-hmm. And so he holds the divorce over her head as like, I'll give it to you if you spend the summer with me. Well, and I think one of the things that's really fascinating is like Day of the Duchess and Run, Posey, Run are some of, like, two of my, like, I really love these books, but one thing they have in common is, like, one of my favorite things in romance is when, like, a ma- in a male-female romance, when a, a man says, like, get gone, and she's like, fine, and then he is desperate to find her again and cannot. I would, <laughs> I have reread both those books so many times because I love that He does, feeling. he literally um, searches yes. the globe for her. Yes. He can't yes. find her. And so does Dario Volpe, and I love this. Like, I love when they're like, I don't need you, and then they're like, oh, fuck, I do. Yeah, I Shit, do. I do. <laughs> um, but I Put actually... Put it in my veins. <laughs> I actually think you can't... I, I just want to name claiming the courtesan by Anna Campbell because I feel like in 2007 any of you who were you know alive in 2007 and paying attention to romance <laughs> like this was the book that like shattered if there had been romance twitter then it would have <laughs> right. been absolutely it would have been haywire because um it's called claiming the courtesan I reread it this week and there I mean there are it was written in 2007 there are a lot of things about it that you know you know take take a breath before you read it. Um, Because there are definitely things that probably wouldn't fly now. But um, the premise is that the heroine is the hero's courtesan on page one, the hero's mistress on page one. And I want to read the first, um, the first um, chapter, (laughs) the first paragraph to you, because I think it does a whole lot of work around gaze. So it starts, it's set in 1825 and it starts, uh, Justin Kinmurray, Duke of Kyle Moore looked across the tumble of stained sheets to where his mistress lay in apparent exhaustion. His grace suspected the exhaustion was feigned, but he had been too well-pleasured to take issue with the hint of artifice. And then the rest of this, like, first few pages is just him gazing, like, 
describing the body of his mistress. Like, everything is, like, she is absolutely dehumanized in the bed, right? And then she, like, gets up, and he, they kiss goodbye. He leaves, and suddenly she, the, the switch flips, and she is a fully realized heroine who is ready to go on the run. Like, he has given her the ruby that is the final amount of money. Like, she's basically been sitting waiting for, like, the bank account to get to a certain level so that she can get out and, like, live her life and save her and, like, keep her brother, like, in a, like, manner in which, you know, they they can survive it together. And she is about to go on the run. And the whole structure of the first couple of chapters of this book is he believes he owns her and like throughout the first chapter like we are you're in his pov and he's like i own her i'm going to keep her forever i had only intended to have her for a, a year but now i'm going to keep her forever she's mine 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 and it's not great you guys <laughs> and then she pieces out and he loses his mind and goes after her if you love dark romance or if you like dark romance or like are curious now of course thinking about dark romance recently and rereading this book like it's a real dark romance he goes after her he captures her mm-hmm. it's very old school he takes her to his home in Scotland and like basically keeps her there until he can convince her to love him and it is wild but she breaks him like he is Every bit of his gaze is flipped by the end. And, like, mm. he realizes, like, he's he's nothing compared to her. Mm. And it's great, but it really shook historical romance. Because yeah. Anna, talk about taking the finger, like, she didn't hesitate. She was like, this is not sexy. This man does not. Right. Like, he thinks he owns her. Right, right, right. Um. Well, I mean, and I think that, too, is, like, that clarity from, like, that clarity from the author, right? Like, the gays, like, we're, like, there's nothing cute about this. Like, this man needs to change how he sees her before he can really be a hero. So he really has to change. Like, she's not, like, she's not my property. Like, I don't deserve her. Yeah, right. Like, that's that's the switch that has to happen where, like, I now need to go right. and start putting myself back together piece by piece right. so that I can be worthy of this woman who is literally, like, too good for me. Yeah. And it's a lesson. It's such a lesson in gaze. Also, as, as a writer, um, because when you start reading it, you're like, wait, this book doesn't feel like a, it doesn't feel like a romance at all. You're like, why is he thinking of her this way? Like, what is... Mm-hmm. And then the, then the, like, shock that you're actually, oh, am I reading a rake? Like, what am I reading? And then the shock that you're reading him looking at the heroine, it's all just so shattering because heroes aren't supposed to look at heroines that way, right? Right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, that, that to me, I mean, there it is again. Like, to me, that's interesting because realistically, like, realistically, a man who, let's say, for example, um, <laughs> is willing to put a, like, is willing to own a woman and put her in a cage, but he, like, draws the line at cheating on her. <laughs> so, so for us, like, I mean, in a cage, you know, it could be figurative, it could not be, because it's romance, so it really could be either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
the idea that a man wouldn't have to like that a man from the in, in the first moment is willing to is be is able to see her that way i don't think it's realistic like there really needs to be a transformation because yep. what what about his position in life would have prepared him otherwise than he had been raised by like a quaker or something right, right. like giving him the the perspective the point of view the world view to where he just not doesn't look at her like an object that he owns so after we did our dark romance episode, um, Joe recommended to me I read these two books, a duology by Sam Mariano. The first one's called Sinning in Vegas. And this, no, the first one's called Stay in Vegas. The second one is called Sinning in Vegas. And it's like a true love triangle. And it, and what's really fascinating about it is, so this woman essentially has had a one-night stand with this, like, mafioso in Vegas. She's pregnant. She decides she has to go tell him. She's like, I just can't be the type of person to have an abortion, of course, but I I should tell him. And from the very beginning, this guy is basically, like, really, like, not into her. He's like, yeah, the sex was great. But you're, I was so sort of convinced that he would be the hero. He ends up, like, kicking her out. He's pissed about something. And this guy's second-in-command, like, sort of, takes her for a while, and it's clear that he really, the second-in-command guy is like, well, he's going to want her back, so I just need to, like, kind of keep her on ice. And she ends up falling in love with the second-command guy, and the entire time I was reading the series, I was like, yeah, but she's going to end up back with guy number one, of course, right? But again, it was, and it was back to this, like, romance luring me into believing that they could have a healthy relationship because... Baby. Right. And then, you know, when the first guy finds out that second in command has slept with her, he's like, well, now do I want her back because of jealousy? And again, I was like, God, it is really playing with my idea of believing that this is like a positive emotion. But who does she she end up up with with the second in command? No, (laughs) she ends up with the second in command guy. And it's honestly kind of great. Yeah. But then, I mean, I don't know, like, but these two books were really fascinating in that same way of playing around with, and although it's not, like, infidelity, it's, it's un, you know, it's sort of like, who do, who am I with right now? It's unclear, but I felt like that's pretty normal. Yeah. But it's really interesting the way some of those markers will, like, trigger something in yeah. my brain that tells me, like, well, father of the baby must be the person she ends up with. No, not really. I mean, well, and also that sort of weird romance rule that's like the first person on the the first man's yes. page is the hero. Yes. And I found these two books really brilliant. And again, it's not quite about infidelity, but really brilliantly playing around with this question of like who of gays again, right? Yeah. And how do we think about the people we're with and who is it that I, I don't know. It was really fascinating, honestly. Well, I mean, I think, like, there's really, like, a question that we, like, inwardly, to look inward, and it's like, why is it that a hero can literally do anything, and the only thing that he has to do to not, to, like, to continue to be a hero is not cheat? Like, that's right? Yeah, right. crazy. All of the rest of it is okay. Yeah, like, that's a little cray, right? Like, that, to me, is, like, a little... Like, I have to think about that. Like, wow, he can literally do anything, but if he doesn't cheat, then he can still be the, get the girl at the end. Like, to me, that really is something to think about. And again, 
like, I am not advocating for start, like, putting out books tomorrow, brother. It's like all kinds of cheating because I think we got to take baby steps. Like, I yeah, think don't, don't, right. don't, like, right. I, don't right. quote Here. Adriana. <laughs> yes. Like, I Adriana said I could, so. <laughs> yes. Like, honestly, like, I think that's a great place. Like, that's a great example of something that is exploring these things. Like, yeah. she's for with this guy, he's her child's father, but he is not a hero for her life. The second one who makes her feel good, who makes her feel whatever is, and and who's the one that took her out of a situation where she was being discarded. And so to me, like that is a great place to explore who gets to be a hero and what kind of man you have to be to be able to have the happy ending. Because again, to me, it's like men get happy endings too easily in romance sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, I think we need to talk about Adriana's new book. Yes. Let's talk about it. One week to claim it all. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) You're like, uh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. Will you tell everybody about it? Yes. So One Week to Claim It All is about um, the Sombrano family, which is a family that owns the telenovela empire. It's a Dominican family. And the heroine, Esmeralda, is a, the illegitimate child of the patriarch of the family. And in his will, he um, leaves his his wish is that she become the CEO of the company and kind of like overlooks his legitimate children who he has with his wife. And his her mom and her dad had been in a relationship um, previously to um, her dad getting married. And I have to be honest, what I wanted to do was have mom just be the mistress. Mm. And I took that out because I didn't know how people would react. If, if I didn't know if I could, if people would think the mom was a character that was like deserving of, of being like looked at as someone that was good and honorable because... Because, you know, she had been a man's mistress. So I took that out. And so if you read it, think about that in my head. I wanted the mom (laughs) to be the mistress. And so Esmeralda basically is given a week to kind of like claim her place as a CEO. The only thing is that the person she's competing um, to be CEO with is her ex-lover, who was her father's protege and who she thinks betrayed her 10 years before in order to further his career in the studio. So it's like enemies to lovers, forced proximity, lots of drama, a little over the top, but it was really fun to write. It's very fun to read, too. It reads like a telenovela, which is perfect. And Jen and I both came on your Instagram live to talk about our favorite telenovelas slash soap operas. Yes. Um, Yes. um, People loved, like, it was so funny to do that It was really fun. It was super fun. Yes. I keep getting um, people texting me pictures of Lorenzo Lamas, which is <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny uh, for them. someone who hasn't thought about Lorenzo Lamas for many, many years. <laughs> He's now well, very present, very top of mind. People are not texting me pictures of A. Martinez, and so I would like to know where. Yeah, where your get on that, everyone. Uh, yes. The hot man. One thing I discovered is, is that romance romance readers and soap opera watchers, there's a big, there's a, that Venn diagram, that circle is very big. 
inside. <laughs> and um, it's also like, I think there's like this ability to just commit to a story that um, that romance readers have, that soap opera, telenovela fans have that is fascinating and also delightful. Awesome. Tell people where they can find you, Adriana. They can find me on my website, adrianaherraromance.com. I am mostly on Instagram these days, but honestly, y'all, like, don't look too closely. But I am there um, at ladriana underscore Herrera. And you can find her in the bookstore. And you can find me in any bookstore. And you can find her at four other dedicated episodes of Faded Mates because she is our second five-timer. Can I tell the story about my friend who told me about your podcast? So this is the best story. So one of, well, my best friend from when I lived, I lived in Ethiopia for a while, and my best friend there, she's Honduran, and she was visiting two weeks ago, and I introduced her to Cressley Cole, namely Immortals After Dark. (laughs) When we lived in Ethiopia, we read the whole series together. Wow. And she, we were talking about Cressley Cole, and she was like, oh my goodness, I discovered this amazing podcast just last week for super fans of Cressley Cole. (laughs) And I was like, which one? Faded May? She's like, do you know it? Do you love it? And I'm like, uh, have you gone to episode three? She's like, no, I just listened to episode two. So then I texted Jen and Sarah and told them that I that I, my life had come Oh, I wish you had just like played it super cool and been like, no, I don't know. <laughs> the Bow and a Mary episode, she would have just like, kaboom. <laughs> she she texted me again like le- late last week and she was like, how did you not tell me that you were on the podcast about Crescent And she's of course trying to see if the Arcana series is going to continue. So I'm like, well, they don't actually know Cressley Cole that well. We don't know anything, She's everybody. like, do they know if the Arcana series is going to continue? We don't, don't even know if IAD is going to continue. It's okay. It's we fine. have a wonderful series of books that we can all enjoy. I'm just, I want everybody to just write fic now for me. Like, I want it, I want everyone to just pick their character that hasn't been written about and just write me fic. And send us the oh. AO3 links. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I just want Nick. We could do a whole separate episode that's just about that. Like, the fic See? of... Nyx. You know. Nyx is the only, like, the only one... That I would, like, move into Cressley's house, like, be her support person for the year that it takes her to read. (laughs) So that she could just sit and write What do you need, baby? What do you need? What do you need? I will will leave my family and be your support person for a year. If you can give me that last book. (laughs) I'm for it. It's out there. Please press if you're listening. I'm a therapist. I am a a licensed therapist. It'll be like a Kylie Scott book. You'll just hang out and then fall in love. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Okay. Listen, everyone, if you haven't read Presley Cole, you can uh, read Presley Cole and go back to season one and we'll do a read along with you. And you'll meet Adriana there in season three. No, in episode three of season one. Um, Otherwise, you can find us on fatedmates.net. Um, or on Twitter at Faded Mates or on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. At the website, you can also find links to get fun merch and cool stuff. And if you have time or inclination this summer to leave us a like or a 
review on your favorite podcasting app. We would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And we are getting back to almost getting to the end of season three, season four to come.